up, what up, what up? Greetings from Earth. This is not your leader. My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? Man, I'm excited this week. This has been a crazy week, y'all. Oh my goodness. Uh, on a quick side note, just on my end, the Audacity news I'm probably going to talk about next week because that definitely had me messed up today. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's jump right into the headline news. We'll get into the Nintendo Switch news a little later down the line, okay? But for now, let's talk about this new Assassin's Creed news that just dropped. Assassin's Creed apparently is going to go live service. I don't think this surprises anybody. I think Ubisoft has telegraphed their punch plenty when it comes to this topic and other titles within their franchise. I'm not surprised if they end up doing this with Watch Dogs and things like that. Supposedly, this is going to be coming out in 2023. Now, I'm going to read to you a quote from Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg. He did a story on this before uh, Ubisoft made their blog post um, addressing it. Quote, Assassin's Creed, a video game franchise set in huge worlds where each one can take hundreds of hours to complete, is getting even bigger. A new project, which is known inside Ubisoft Entertainment SA uh, by codename Assassin's Creed Infinity, sets out to create a massive online platform that evolves over time, according to people familiar with its development. Whereas previous Assassin's Creed games, each unfolded in specific historical settings, such as Ancient Greece or Potomac Egypt, Infinity will contain multiple settings with room to expand to others in months and years following its debut said the people who asked not to be identified discussing a project under development. Individual games on the platform might look and feel different, but they will all be connected. So, what does this say? One, the community did not react very well to this news, me included. Um, But I kind of had a feeling that Ubisoft was planning to do something like this anyway. So I wasn't really shocked when this news came out. I didn't I didn't know other people weren't aware that this was happening. Perhaps this was a little more official and it, it kind of hurt a lot of Assassin's Creed fans from what I understand. And even they come in many different forms because as you may or may not know, the Assassin's Creed franchise uh, from all the way back in what, 2007 has changed a lot from odyssey and valhalla that you're playing today so making this live service especially with the history of bad live service games that we've had in recent uh, marvel (laughs) i mean we we should be able to find some level of um middle ground here where hopefully they can actually dedicate some time to making some good games within this world without having to focus on selling a big blockbuster release every three years. Um, Hopefully this will actually allow them to be more creative and not less creative. But from what I understand, they're actually combining two different teams. That is, if I'm not mistaken, that's Ubisoft uh, Montreal and Ubisoft Quebec. And from what I understand, they have a bit of a rivalry. Let's see if this can be a healthy marriage um, in the middle between these two uh, development teams. I'm curious to see how this turns out, but I don't have high hopes, and I don't think a lot of people, even Ubisoft fans, are excited for it. I think 
you're starting to see Ubisoft become EA, become an Activision. Um, but you know what? If we keep giving them our money, then they're definitely going to get there one day. Um, moving on, let's go into some news from Bioware and EA. Um, so apparently there will be no Dragon Age or Max Mass Effect at EA Play this year. This is according to a Bioware tweet. Uh, I'm going to read to you the tweet. Quote, We're hard at work creating the next Dragon Age and Mass Effect games and have some exciting stuff coming to Star Wars The Old Republic this year. While we won't be showing anything at EA Play Live, be sure to check out Star Wars The Old Republic livestream at 12 p.m. today for info on what's to come. The important part being at the front. So it looks like, unfortunately, Bioware will not be making a big appearance at EA Play this year, which I, I'm i curious to see what they're going to show. It sounds like it's going to be a whole lot of this Madden. I wouldn't be surprised if they took a lot of time on Madden this year because last year's Madden, if I'm not mistaken, was the worst Metacritic rating ever. It got like a 35. It, it, we always say it with Madden, it's like a copy and paste job, but last year's was really a copy and paste job. And so we'll see. We'll see if they actually come with something worth spending your money on. Personally, you know, I, I have mixed feelings on EA because say what you want, but they've actually put out, <clears throat> excuse me, they've put out two games that I really enjoyed this year, Knockout City and It Takes Two. Granted, those are more casual games, but we'll see. You know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in EA right now, but they always come with their yearly releases. So um, moving on, let's get into the Tencent news. Now, if you're not familiar, uh, this story is coming from a Tencent uh, press release. Tencent is introducing facial recognition tech to prevent late night gaming in minors. Uh, this is coming. I'm going to be reading from a PC Gamer article. So. Let's talk about what they're actually doing, and then we can talk about it. Quote, Tencent said its new technology would require players to confirm their identity via facial recognition algorithm in order to keep playing mobile games past 10 p.m. The article continues. So far, the feature has been activated in 60 of Tencent's mobile games, including Honor of Kings and Game for Peace but the feature will roll out to more of Tencent's mobile games over time. The way it works is simple. If children under the age of 18 try and play a game after 10 p.m. or before 8 a.m., they'll have to pass a check that uses the phone's camera to verify their identity and age. This extra measure is in place to stop children who are easily circumventing previous age-gating methods to enforce China's strict laws on gaming activity. Now, this comes after another story that came out of South Korea, where they were, again, trying to close some loopholes where where kids were circumventing their age-getting policies. I don't know what gaming is like in the East. I've never been to China. I've never been to Korea. I've never been to Japan. I don't know if they have some kind of different gaming addiction than we do over here in the States or even in Europe, um, but I know that I'm not down with more surveillance, and I'm not down with, I mean, really anybody telling you how to raise your kids. I would like to see the support on this, but that being said, obviously you can't really trust the polls in 
China because it's illegal to speak against the government in China. So honestly, I'm what's more concerning about this is how many companies do business with China and thusly might adopt some of these attitudes and thusly eventually some of these policies. And let's be honest, parents in America don't always have the best track record, not speaking to you specifically if you have children, but not all parents here have the best track record of wanting to go out of their way to raise their children uh, rather than putting the onus on the government or the onus on business or whoever putting safeguards in and regulations. I'm not like anti-regulation. I think there are a lot of places where we need more regulation yada, 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 not getting into politics here. But at the end of the day, I don't think a lot of people are really into the idea of facial recognition technology or an algorithm deciding whether or not you can do what you want to do in society, whether you're a child or not, especially in their everyday life or something as, you know, as as light as video games. God forbid we're talking about food, water, air, housing, jobs next. So... Just be aware. If you're somebody who's like not aware that facial recognition technology is already being used in our everyday life, please do some reading on it. But past that, I don't want it in the gaming space, but I don't want it in any space. I think that it's not necessary. I'd like to see a real case study on like how effective this is before we even consider this. It has to be 99.99999% effective before this can be anywhere near children of all people but before i go too deep down the rabbit hole we're gonna stop it there there wasn't a lot of smaller gaming news this week so we're gonna go jump straight into the real now the real is where we talk about our movie and tv news and again like a lot of weeks this is all marvel this week so let's jump into some of the big news that splashed on twitter this week uh companies like funko pop and lego uh this last week started releasing images and and I, I believe they're available for purchase now uh of different figurines and and action figures and toy sets um for the spider-man no way home movie uh so what did we get Let, let's get into it uh we got the black and gold suit of these it is my favorite looking suit it's the black and gold suit i believe that's its official name because uh more people had started coming out with images and i believe that's what they're going to call it but it looks super cool. It looks like it, it got some influences from the Spider-Man games, if you've played those on PS4. But more than that, it also looks like it has some uh, circuitry within the the suit. So I'm wondering what kind, what what this is used for. I'm always curious. Same thing with the Iron Man suits, and I, they alluded to it in the last movie. Um, I want to see how how spider-man how peter parker are is going to apply these suits to combat and what great scenes we're going to get out of it maybe it has something to do with the sinister six him needing all these different suits next we have the integrated suit now the integrated suit is the one that we saw leaked last week it's the one that looks most like the iron spider suit from infinity war um but what makes this special this is my favorite power that we can see so far in the suits, and it is uh, magic. It's the same uh, magic spells or runes that you see Doctor Strange use in his movies 
coming off of the suit that resembles the Iron Spider suit. So I'm super curious. This must, I would imagine this is like the climax of the film. Maybe they give us the black and gold suit for like the big wow, like, oh, this is the new suit. Like, no, that's not it. It's really this magic suit. And you know what? This suit gave me an inkling and a understanding what Marvel Phase 4 is, is going to be like if you look at it with Wanda and Loki and Doctor Strange. It looks like the same thing that they did with technology in the first three phases of the MCU. I think they're going to start delving more into the mystics and magic and things of that nature moving forward a little bit more. Now that they've established a foreground and laws of science and magic and things like that. I think they'll be able to really have some fun within this space and seeing it on Spider-Man of all people, I think excites a lot of fans, especially with like the what if series coming out. And I, I actually, now that I'm starting to see what the MCU is becoming moving forward, I'm excited. I just want a movie. I want real content. And we're going to get into that in a second too. Um, the next suit is the upgraded suit. Now, this is just the main suit. I don't know what it does, but they've made some minor tweaks. It's it's a normal spider, Spider-Man suit. If you've watched the last two movies, it's not that big of a change um, from the last two. Moving on, let's talk about this Loki finale. Um, now, spoiler warning up front, if you haven't watched the show, if you're going to plan, you plan on watching the show, skip ahead about five minutes. I'll try and make this quick. Now, Loki, I'm not going to talk about uh, episode five too much because it was very fun. But with one more episode left, I want to get into some predictions. Now, I've watched quite a few of the theories out here, this and that. And there's some main ones that I really want to point to. Really, there are three main main theories that I'm looking at. And I think one of them is the most likely. If you don't already if we're not all the way ready, really familiar, at the end of episode five, we have Sylvie and Loki standing before a castle. They finally were able to, you know, un unveil and peek behind the curtain and see who's really behind all of this nonsense. I'm excited to see who, what the big reveal is, but something tells me it's going to happen either at the very beginning or very end of the episode. But the main three um, theories I've seen, one is Kang the Conqueror, of course. Now, if you haven't read the comics, I haven't read the comics. I'm not going to act as if I know, but I do watch all the content on the internet and have all the nerds tell me exactly um, what story they might be referencing or breaking down each episode and things like that. And if you watch this last episode, this more than any other episode made tons of references to Kang the Conqueror. Whether it be the big smoke, scary cloud wolf thing that they fought at the very end. Or whether it be um, the fact that the Avengers Tower in the back said Kang on it. Or it made a reference to a company owned by the real identity, the regular guy that is Kang the Conqueror. A lot of references to Kang the Conqueror in this show. The My biggest apprehension, of course, is the fact that Kang the Conqueror is supposed to be the villain in Ant-Man, uh, Quantumanium. So if we do see him, I would imagine it would be at the very end in a post credit scene, kind of alluding to and getting us hyped for the next movie, rather than he's the big bad and they're going to beat him up and, 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 you know, take control of the TVA or 
tear it down or or whatever the case may be. I think this is actually the the finale of this is actually going to introduce Kang the Conqueror. And same goes for the Immortus version of Kang the Conqueror. I think they may do a variation of that, but I don't think it will be a Kang the Conqueror variant, uh, so to speak. Uh, the most interesting theory that I saw this week was the one that it's actually Miss Minutes. Um, and it would be like a rogue AI thing where the, you know, the last guy at the end of the timeline, whether it be the timekeepers or someone else, created an AI to manage the, um, the time stream. And this AI went overboard and started just Xing out every possible every possible timeline that didn't fit within this very strict definition. But the reason I don't believe it's that one is because one, I think introducing time travel, multidimensional, and then rogue AI on top of that is just too many things going on. I think they would have kind of set more breadcrumbs throughout the series. If that was the case, it is a very interesting thing. I would love to see how that played out. But I also think they've done the rogue AI thing already. Uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, they did it in... Um, and I mean, Ultron essentially is exactly that, a rogue AI. So I don't think they would do that again. Now, the last theory I saw this week is the obvious one. Another variant of Loki. Now... Whether you want to look at it as it is an evil Loki, which I think they'd ultimately play it up as because it's, you know, it's a, a basic show uh, run. It's, it's got to have some kind of finale where they conquer whoever's doing this or at the very least defeat who they think is doing this. And I think Marvel has a funny way of showing you what's going to happen before it happens in a small way alluding to the finale before the finale happened so when we saw that big loki on loki fight in the um in the bunker i think that's what's going to end up happening i think you're going to see loki fighting loki and within the middle of it i wouldn't be surprised quite frankly if sylvie and loki got separated or one of them died sylvie really died within this fight and I think this evil Loki is going to be the one who calls himself the superior Loki. They've been alluding to answering this question, who is the superior Loki? They they talked about it way back in the first episode, and they haven't really brought it up since episode three. So I'm curious. I want to see what a Loki on Loki fight would look like or what variation of Loki they're going to give it, whether it be the Loki like, I don't know. I want to see how this story plays out, but I definitely think it's going to be a Loki variant, and I hope that it is maybe a better finale than than Captain America, uh, Captain or what is it, Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or WandaVision. WandaVision's finale was good. I'm not hating, but I do. I I hope that this really sews some things up because this has a chance to be better than WandaVision for me. But it's not quite there yet. It's not quite there yet. Moving on, let's finish out with these just last two bits of Marvel news. One, Black Widow is out as of today. Right now, as you're listening to my voice, you can go out and watch Black Widow in theaters or on Disney Plus for $30. 
Um, so up to you personally. I think I'm going to wait uh, like a week and go watch it in theaters. I would go watch it like right now immediately. But quite frankly, I think I want to give Marvel some time to get back into the cinema space. Um, and I know people are going to spoil things for me, but I think the movie's kind of already been spoiled because it's been in the can for like a year plus now, if not two. Um, and then next, Marvel's What If series just dropped a trailer. The trailer looks awesome. Please go check it out. It shows, I mean, T'Challa, if he was, uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Killmonger, if he turned, uh, if he, um, teamed up with uh iron man tony stark uh, a zombie episode of the avengers i'm excited for all of it i can't wait i think they can really do something fun with their creativity and give us something uh you know some sustenance with it like just some good comic book fun i feel like the cinematic universe has gotten so big and so serious i, I want to just have a good time and tell a good story once again you know hopefully this will open up more opportunities for them to branch off and do their own thing. I think that's the whole point of the multiverse thing is to allow different writers, directors, actors, creators in general, do what they want and not have to be bogged down with continuity. But that's enough for the television and movie news for this week. Let's go ahead and jump into the platform wars before we take a break and come back for our trigger warning topic and our five minutes of sports. So, for the platform wars, let's talk right away about that Sony State of Play. Now, right before I got on to record for you guys, I went ahead and watched that Sony State of Play probably like two or three times now. And I'll be honest with you, there's only a couple games that really stood out to me. And it it, it was a letdown. I won't lie. It was a bit of a letdown. I will keep in mind just like E3, we've had a hell of a last 18 months, two years in game development. I think I want people to really understand how hard it is for people to work remotely on these gigantic projects that take so much collaboration. But with that being said, there was nothing that really made me jump out of my seat or fall out of my chair, man. It was, it was, it was not mediocre, but it was maybe a step and a half above that. So I get it. It was the indie showcase. They wanted to show off Deathloop, which I think they did a great job of. Deathloop looked great. They, I think they showed what I wanted to see from it. And it is like a perfect follow-up to the Arcane uh, Dishonored series. I, I, I want more of this. I want more stealth-based branched path combat not even storytelling necessarily but combat Let, let's give me a lot of options in how to play and not necessarily and still be able to tell the same story or uh, or just as powerful of a story um i love the aesthetic i love the time period i'm curious about the voice acting but hey representation matters i'm with it i, I i'm excited to see more protagonists of color i'm excited to see uh, an exclusive uh, from Bethesda, probably the last exclusive from Bethesda on um, a Sony platform. And I hope that people really take it in and enjoy it. That game is going to come out. That's Deathloop, September 14th of this year. Um, another game that I found interesting uh, was Arcade Again. 
Now, this game looked like Knockout City with, like, it's like a Knockout City aesthetic, Fortnite aesthetic, but much more of a, like, PvE, from what I could tell, kind of angle. I'm curious what it'll end up being, but it looks like Sony is really, really, really pushing hard into the, you know, uh, live service model. They want you to be spending every day on your PlayStation as often and as regularly as possible. And I want, and games like this are probably um, how they're going to do it. I want to see if Arcade Getting is any good. It's in early access right now, but it won't be out until 2022. Let's hope that it doesn't lose its spot because something tells me that by 2022, uh, Knockout City is going to be at a fever pitch. Um, no, no pun intended. And the last game that excited, I'm sure all the Yakuza fans was Lost Judgment. They showed more of the game. It's going to be coming out September 24th. I am not a Yakuza fan uh, necessarily. I do enjoy watching people play the game. It's not a game that I want to pour all my heart and soul into because the games are very long and very large. But I I do like, uh, I guess, a more serious tone on the franchise, but I also like the fact that it's not going to be turn-based, which I think for a lot of fans of the Yakuza series, it's nice that this this developer, this publisher can can create games for both palettes, both people who want to chill out and just be silly and have fun and people who want like a more story-driven experience with maybe gameplay that causes you to pay more attention. Gameplay and story that causes you to pay more attention because as somebody who's played a little bit of Yakuza Like a Dragon and and watched some of my my roommates play it, it looks like a very fun, silly game and its counterpart looks just as engaging. So I'm hoping that this will come out to a similar reception as Like a Dragon um, but just for a different or a slightly different consumer base. And I'm excited for that. But like I said, at the end of the day, I think the state of play was underwhelming. I think at the, I, I expect more out of Sony only because, uh, and I know they probably had this emotion far before E3. I understand that, but I'm sure they probably heard rumors of what Xbox was doing on the business side of things and what they were expected to announce before it happened. I'm sure they heard uh, the same rumors we did about a new Switch console potentially coming out. And despite that, I think they really wanted to hang their hat on Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, and uh, Last of Us, and Ratchet and Clank, of course. So until those shoes start to drop, they're kind of stuck in this limbo where people are like, I can't find a PS5, and even if I did, what am I going to play on it? You know what I mean? It, Even with those adaptive triggers, I think Sony, the, the flip, the script has been flipped for them uh, in a pretty major way as of the last six months, really the last like two months. If you've been watching the news, man, Sony has been getting beaten up, whether it be because of anti-consumer practices or whether it be because of straight up not having enough titles, which I never thought we would hear. Um, but yeah, it's time. It's time for them to drop drop some hot shit. Um, moving on, let's talk about the Microsoft Xbox news before we talk about the new Nintendo OLED. Now, 
First on the docket for Microsoft is this Phil Spencer Halo Infinite quote from an interview with IGN. Uh, Now this is being transcribed by VGC. I'm going to read you a quote from VGC and a quote from Phil Spencer. Asked how much is writing on Halo as far as the future of the franchise is concerned, Xbox boss Phil Spencer told IGN the next series installment is far from make or break for the long-running series. Quote, I don't know if this is what you want me to say or not. Like, when I think about the community, but I'm just being honest, I don't think about it that way, like the future of the franchise, he responded. Halo will be here 10 years from now. Is Infinite the linchpin on whether it survives that long? Absolutely not. The game has such a rabid fan base and such a history and lore that it's just an IP that's going to be with us. We don't take that for granted, but I definitely believe in my core that that is true. I think, one, what is Phil Spencer supposed to say? I think a lot of big Halo fans took, you know, this this quote kind of stung a little bit. And I understand why, you know what I mean? Um, a lot of invested Halo fans maybe feel a little burned from the last couple of entries. Um, maybe burned is even a, a little much. But at the end of the day, I think this quote is very accurate. Uh, even if it is like business speak and it's very, you know, marketing talk, PR talk, if you will. But uh, I agree with him. I agree with him. Look at Sonic, okay? That is the easiest example that I can think of. Sonic came out and, you know, you, you know, you can flame me if you want to about this, but Sonic came out with like two or three good games. Great games, fine. Two or three great games, but like 20 years ago. You know what I mean? They have not put out a solid uh, Sonic uh mainstay like new game and i'm not talking about remakes new game since i was like too young to hold the joysticks man like i don't understand too too young to hold the controller so what are we talking about like uh at the end of the day yeah you can be mad about it but at the end of the day you'll also buy more halo stuff the same way nintendo fans buy nintendo stuff that they know they're probably not going to enjoy but hey it's what they got If you really love Master Chief, if you really love the Halo series, there's a good chance they have your money for a lifetime. And that sucks, but I'm not going to hate on you for being a fan or feeling nostalgic about something or pouring your money and time into something that maybe isn't loving you back in the same way. You know what I mean? But let's not be selfish. I think at the end of the day, we have to judge Halo Infinite for what it is. I wouldn't say this is some kind of undercutting uh manage your expectations thing i think phil spencer is fully aware of what the community is talking about when they talk about halo infinite needing to impress them i don't think he's ignorant to that but i also know that it's phil spencer talking to ign he knows millions of people are going to read this quote uh, just like we are now and overanalyze it and so he's optimistic honestly i read this as well seeing as though this isn't the linchpin game Let's take the pressure off. And when you take pressure off of creative teams, usually they create better work because they've had time to develop and they weren't sitting there like, wow, this might be the last Halo game ever. I can't I can't mess this up. That's not that's not really how I look at it. And I think 
with Phil Spencer kind of walking on airs. He's so excited about his game pass. He's so excited about the press that he's getting as of late. I, I think that he is perhaps his optimism is rubbing people the wrong way, but let's see how Halo Infinite is received specifically the multiplayer. I know people want to talk about the main franchise, but again, Halo fans are going to play it and they're going to have their opinions no matter what. But I think the multiplayer is very, very, very important for the longevity of this franchise. And I think because they have such a strong brand, they know they can make, they can get back into the multiplayer space just like that. The same way if Call of Duty didn't make a game for two years and they came out with a game, it wouldn't be a problem. It would sell like gangbusters because Call of Duty fans are Call of Duty fans or Madden or whatever, Mario. There's a million different franchises where people will just buy it to buy it to buy it. Zelda. You know what I mean? So I know it made a lot of Xbox people angry, but at the end of the day, we don't have the game in hand and just calm down. We'll get we'll get there. Okay, (laughs) we'll get there. Next story we have is the Kojima rumors. Now, I haven't really reported on too many Kojima rumors because there's so many every time I I open my phone. But um, we're going to actually read a quote from Jeff Grubb over at VentureBeat. This is regarding Microsoft and Kojima uh, coming to an agreement or a possible partnership to make a new game. So uh, this is, again, Jeff Grubb from VentureBeat. Quote, Hideo Kojima and Microsoft have signed a letter of intent that states the two parties intend to work out details on a publishing agreement for a new Xbox game, according to sources familiar with the matter. This is a key step in negotiations between Metal Gear Solid creator and the Xbox company. This signifies that both parties have agreed to a generalized deal while lawyers continue hashing out the finer points. Microsoft and Kojima's teams have spent months discussing a possible partnership, and now it's more likely than ever that those conversations will bear fruit. The deal is so close that Microsoft has begun preparing for what Kojima will need to make his new game. Okay. Yes, I'm very excited. Yay, Kojima at Microsoft. They have a LOI. Those of you that don't know what a LOI is, a letter of intent. Uh, yes, it states that these two parties intend to do work together, as in both parties are allowed to talk about it and start getting their ducks in a row. But LOIs fall through, especially in the entertainment space, all the time for no reason. All it takes is one guy pissing off the, the, the right person on the other side, and a deal can fall, fall through. Do I think that'll happen here? No. But I think this is less real news and more... Things are coming along. It, but it, it, it's an update. But it's it, I feel the same way as I feel when I hear an update. Like, oh, I can't tell you anything about it, but it's going well when a, in game development. Like, cool. I'm glad it's going. I'm, I'm glad there's no, the building's not on fire. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm glad that Xbox hasn't fumbled at the one yard line yet. But until we're there, I want to see what, preparing for what kojima will need to make his new game means what does that mean what is what what crazy idea is he gonna throw at us next this is the guy who wanted us to have games that that smell a vision this guy's weird i can't wait i can't wait i i actually want to play a, a new kojima game just to get 
the conversation just out of people's mouths for a while. But who knows? Maybe we'll just always have a Hideo Kojima rumor for as long as the man is alive or even after. (laughs) Anyway, no more uh, waiting for you guys. Let's get right into the big story. I know you guys want to hear about. It is the Nintendo Switch OLED. The Nintendo Switch OLED model is um it's it it's it's underwhelming, man. <laughs> it broke a lot of hearts. Twitter went hard. The internet went hard roasting this thing. Let's go into some specs just to get those out of the way. Um but yeah, I don't think I'm picking this one up. Uh just off the rip. I'm I'm going to let you know right now. I don't think I'm spending $350 on this. But it is a 7-inch OLED screen. It has a new wide adjustable kickstand. Thank God. I I hope anybody who's buying a new Switch, please just get this one just for the kickstand. It's worth the $50. (laughs) Uh, It is replacing a USB port with a LAN port, so you can now hardwire your Switch to your router and not have to play over Wi-Fi. Obviously, it has a new colorway, uh, the white um, controller and white dock. It supposedly has new enhanced audio i'm excited because the audio on the switch was probably the most jarring part of it uh for me uh when i first unwrapped it i was like oh that's what the audio quality is word 64 gigabytes of storage now that's double the 32 they were putting in the original switch which still is almost no space but again the games are smaller for this platform and cartridges are relatively uh available So, I'm not too mad about it. Thank you for upgrading the storage, uh, even that little bit. But, at the end of the day, we got the same Joy-Cons and no 4K. Now, let's talk about the rumors. Because I think the rumors are really telling in this situation. I remember all the rumors saying it's definitely going to be 4K, 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 everywhere. Everyone said it. The most reputable people. The Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal and the and Bloomberg put out stories confirming that 4K was coming. I believe Eurogamer did follow up on that too. Listen, I'm not mad that 4K is not gonna be in it, um, because I, I understand why. But I do think that they missed their mark. They they really missed their shot with this one. Uh, it's going to sell, people are going to buy it, but with no new chipset, I'm wondering how this is going to affect developers because it's already hard to run any kind of new AAA-esque game, AAA adjacent, AA, some AA games won't run effectively on the Switch. And ports are not great, you know what I mean? I, I had no interest in playing Doom, I had no interest in playing The Witcher. Uh, I don't, I don't want to do that. Honestly, I, if I'm being hundred percent honest, I don't want to play monster hunter on the switch. Uh, I would much rather just play it on my Xbox or PC. Yeah, it's, it, it, it definitely, I think that's my biggest concern with it is the chipset not allowing devs to continue developing or pushing the limits of this, uh, this console. I think the rumors were, <laughs> We're alluding to uh, in a, a, a 4K and an increased chipset or a better new chipset because I think they have a model canned. 
or at the very least, this is the shell that they want to put it in. This 7-inch OLED screen shell is what they want to put their new chipset in. But they're not going to do that because of the chip shortage, one. And two, I'm sure this is a cheap way of getting people a new model without breaking the bank and still making some money. So, I don't know. The, the the regular Switch has been out... The console has been outselling other consoles still. You know what I mean? I don't have numbers in front of me, but the Nintendo Switch has been outselling regularly every console for the last four years. So what are we talking about? Why would... What financial incentive do they have to give us a new chipset? Give us more power or increase battery life or something internal that really, really is a fundamental change? Is this disappointing? Yes. But when we get to the trigger topic of the uh, trigger warning topic of the week, I'm going to talk more about why this might be um, a, a really telling sign about what we need to start looking forward to for the Christmas season for 2022 and potentially longer. The pandemic definitely hindered and I think affected our ability to get a new chipset in the new uh, Nintendo Switch OLED model. I think they fully intended to do so and were not able to simply because of a supply chain shortage. The supply chain was wrecked. I know a lot of fans were disappointed. Almost, I, I mean, I saw a lot of people saying I'm disappointed, but I'm going to buy it. Uh, a lot of these people are content creators, though. So take that for what, what you will. They kind of have to. They're kind of locked into that kind of system. I will not be purchasing it. I just bought two Switches this year, a Nintendo Switch Lite for my little sister and a regular Nintendo Switch uh, for my partner and I. And it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm mad I wasn't around for the last four years. But if this is going to be a 10-year lifespan console, well, then I'm not really that late. I'm about halfway through this lifespan, this console's lifespan. So we'll see. I, I don't think it's as bad as the 3DS, 2DS, XL, all that nonsense, but we we will see how the sales numbers come out come October. I think this will definitely, we'll definitely know a lot based on how this new Switch sells regarding what 2022 is going to look like um, for Nintendo software sales. Um, but... We're going to take a break here. We've been going for a while. We're going to stop and we're going to, when we come back, we're going to go ahead and hop into the five minutes of sports and talk about the NBA finals, as well as some of the sideline reporters for the NBA finals. Then we're going to jump straight into our trigger warning topic of the week before we head out of here. Thank you so much. And we will be right back. Okay, guys, welcome back. We're going to hop into the five minutes of sports. We have one thing and one thing only to talk about, and that is the NBA Finals. Now, game one happened just a couple of nights ago, and actually at the time of this recording, they are playing right now. I do not have a score yet, but as soon as I'm done recording, I'm going to go check that those highlights. NBA Finals game one finished Phoenix 118, Milwaukee 105. The Suns' big three came out and showed out. You had Devin Booker with only 27 points, three steals, and he finished with only one for eight from three. 
Now, you also had Aiton going for 22 points and 19 rebounds, and then you had Chris Paul with 32 points and 9 assists. On the other side of the ball, you had the Bucks, whose roles, role players didn't quite show up. Now, Chris Middleton did finish with 29 points and 7 rebounds. Drew Holiday came up with 10 points and 9 rebounds, and uh, Giannis Attentacumpo finished with 20 points and 17 rebounds. Now, listen... This game was tough. It was tough. You, I mean, honestly, if if Giannis was at at full health, I I believe Milwaukee would have won this game, even with Drew Holiday only coming up with ten points. But the reason why I think this was a big win and this is a telling sign that the Suns might pull this off is because every night Devin Booker isn't gonna finish with twenty seven points the same way Giannis isn't gonna finish with twenty points moving forward. You know what I mean? I think Chris Paul can hold up those nine assists. Sure, he, he might drop below 25 once or twice, but I, I, I think he can hold up, especially because Chris Paul, this is his first finals and probably his only finals. So he's he's going in for the kill. And there's no guarantee that Devin Booker is going to be shooting one for eight from three for the rest of this series. Um, it does worry me that the Suns were at home and they didn't perform maybe a little bit better, specifically Devin Booker. But Aiton, if he's going to be in the middle getting those 19 rebounds, being being aggressive in the paint, I, I mean, yeah, I think the Suns got this. I think the Suns might have this in six. But, again, the Bucks' role players did not show up the way they needed to this the, uh, in game one. We'll see how they show up in game two. Hopefully the Bucks show up hungry and can even out the series. But at the end of the day, I think Chris Paul might be able to get under the, those young guys' skin and really knock them off their center. I think Giannis, that knee injury came at the worst possible time. And I hate to say it, but for the last three or four or five, however many finals, it feels like there's one team kind of sputtering in or both teams kind of sputtering in from injury. And we're missing a key player who we pay to see. Um, or at least that player's not at 100% and we can't actually see a real title fight. That's not to take anything away from the Suns whatsoever at all. I do not want to make it sound as if I'm making excuses for the Bucks either. I think that Drew Holiday has to score more than 10 points. That's 100% when you're on the floor for more than 40 minutes. That's unacceptable. But we'll see. Hopefully game two will be uh, come to an exciting finish and we can be back here to talk about more NBA Finals news. Now, the real NBA Finals news outside of the game is much, much more interesting in my opinion. Now, we're going to talk about Rachel Nichols being out on the NBA Finals. She will not be a sideline reporter, nor will she be doing the recap at the end of the show for ESPN's The Jump. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from Bleacher Report. I'm, uh, that's who I'm using as, a, as a, a source for these quotes that I'm about to read you now. But for those of you that don't know, uh, this will give you a little context into what's happening. Quote, ESPN announced Rachel Nichols has been removed as a sideline reporter for the 2021 NBA Finals after the New York Times detailed a mistakenly recorded video in which Nichols discussed frustrations about Maria Taylor hosting pregame coverage for last year's finals, a role Nichols expected to fill. Okay, a little context before I get into the actual quotes that 
Rachel Nichols said in the video and both and what Taylor had to say in response. Now, if you don't know, Rachel Nichols is a very popular NBA reporter. She hosts The Jump, a very popular NBA show. She gets exclusive interviews with all your favorite NBA players all the time. Um, but she is a white lady. Now, Maria Taylor is a dark-skinned black woman. Uh, she covers multiple different sports. Um, but she's been able to host the jump throughout her, her career, I think, starting in 2019. Um, and she ended up getting chosen to host the NBA Finals, uh, the jump during the NBA Finals in 2020. Now, apparently this was during a conversation Nichols was having with a colleague, and she didn't know she was being recorded. Apparently this went to ESPN servers. Somebody found it, recorded it on their phone, and it spread like wildfire. Now, it's just hitting our news waves, um, but this apparently rubbed a lot of former players the wrong way or a lot of people who worked at the company the wrong way. So this is the quote from the recording uh, uh, from Nichols. I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy long-time record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it taking from me or taking my thing away. This quote, when it hit Twitter, when it really, the story broke, a lot of people were pointing out the fact that this shows, it shows a level of candor that we don't see public facing. A lot of social justice allies and people who want to fight for social justice rights of black people or LGBTQ plus people or women's issues or whatever the case may be. In public, they're very loud and proud and this and that. But if you ask them to make sacrifices, real tangible sacrifices, then they're not willing to because, well, this is mine, though. The other person should give up their their thing, but not me. I also will give Nichols this. I don't like seeing women pitted against each other. And I don't like having a, uh, having to choose. I think both of them should have their own shows all the time. Or they should be on each other's show all the time. I want as much as much representation as possible. I shouldn't have to choose one woman or, or over another. You know what I mean? I don't think trying to take opportunities away from one woman to appease another woman is the right way to do it. But I also don't think that complaining about it is the right way to be either. You might be tired. You might be overworked. You might be stressed out. But at the end of the day, you're not recognizing your own privilege. And I know that's hard in an intersectional place. But let's continue the conversation after we read Maria Taylor's response. So, quote, uh, and this is from an email to ESPN discussing uh, the issue. I will not call myself a victim, but I certainly have felt victimized and do not feel as though my complaints have been taken seriously. In fact, the first time I have heard from HR after two incidents of racial insensitivity uh, was asked if I leaked Rachel's tape to the media. I would never do that. Simply being a front-facing black woman at this company has taken its toll physically and mentally. Let's unpack. So essentially what she's saying is she brought up the fact that she found out about this video before it went public. She had not 
only this complaint, but apparently another complaint of racial insensitivity. When contacted by HR regarding the matter, she was asked if she was the one who leaked the tape to the media. Being accused further of wrongdoing when at the end of the day, she's being attacked. And again, she says it herself. She's not, she, she would not call herself a victim, but she is being victimized. That there, there is a distinction there. Like, no, I'm not out here crying. I'm not, I'm not like, yo, I need protection. I need somebody to help me out. No, but I need you to hold people accountable for how they're making your employees feel. You need to treat your employees with a certain level of respect. And she slipped up. And you know what, what really put the put the nail on the head for me was the fact that I didn't believe her apology. I'll be honest with you. I don't dislike Rachel Nichols. I've watched NBA coverage for a long time. I like a lot of her takes. I like how she deals with uh, the different personalities on her show and things like that. But I don't let that cloud my judgment when it comes to issues of intersectionality. Especially in sports, man. It happens a lot. I feel like they pit people of color against each other and they pit uh, women against each other in the sports journalism space because you can only have one at a time and that's not to say that ESPN hasn't gotten better at giving opportunities to people of color as of late but that doesn't excuse how they're treating these two women and I think both of these women are being treated unfairly but I think Nichols pointing at Maria and her opportunities and being like, those are my opportunities is doing a disservice. It's hard for me as a man to say how a woman should behave in the workplace or what her response should be to being seemingly taken advantage of, or at the very least having her opportunities taken from her. But I will recognize that within the feminist movement, there's a lot of things that I have trouble with getting down because there's not a lot of people of color talking to me about it. Um, there are, there's not a lot of people of color put on a platform in order to reach a number of people that is impactful about it. Uh, most of the people I see talking about feminist issues are white women. So when I see a white woman calling feminism in the face of another woman of, and specifically a woman of color, yeah, uh, that kind of rings hollow. So I appreciate that she's trying to do her best to take accountability, but at the end of the day, I need accountability from the executives over at ESPN not to be put in this situation again. And, you know, for every SVP and Boochie Mane and whoever, whatever white dude you like listening to, Gallic or whoever, that's fine. That's great. But they're not running out of opportunities. I get they work hard too. Everybody's working hard. But at the end of the day, bro, if ESPN really wants to be down with the culture, I think it it's... Its demographic internally should mirror the sports that they cover, if that makes sense. And not in like a black people cover black sports, white people cover white sports. That's not what I mean. I just mean for all the people of color who are providing entertainment and giving you news to talk about that you make your career on, maybe you should provide more opportunities to people of color, more opportunities to women who put us in a situation where we even have these sports to talk about. I'll get off my soapbox now because I always run over my five minutes. But that was a nice little appetizer for what we have next. It is the trigger warning topic of the week. And I'm going to talk about expectations in gaming. Now, what are expectations in gaming? Why am I talking about this? 
Um, well, after this recent Switch release, and honestly, today at the State of Play, after E3, I felt like gamers have gotten kind of spoiled in the sense that they, I feel like many of us have forgotten the impact of what this, of, of what the world went through last year and is currently still going through. I know you've heard it a thousand times and nobody wants to hear me preach about the pandemic or about COVID or none of that. You won't hear me telling you, go get your vaccine or wear a mask or anything like that. Not because I don't do those things or believe them, but because it's not my business and it's not your business whether I do it. You know what I mean? Whether I think it's your responsibility or not, I think you should. Sure, fine. But I'm not going to yell it from the rooftops. At the end of the day, you can't deny the impact that this pandemic has had on game development on people's ability to organize, on people's ability to manufacture, and our and people's ability to make deals. That is it permeates through every portion of the gaming space. The business, the development, the the distribution, all of it. And I've seen a lot of unruly behavior. You know what I mean? And I, I get it, it's social media, it's the internet, you got trolls, you got kids, blah, blah, blah. But I've seen um, an unhealthy amount and intensity of unruly behavior aimed at game developers, aimed at journalists, aimed at different content creators and whoever, um, because things are not as picturesque or as perfect as you're used to. When at the end of the day, if you step back from gaming for just a second, you'll realize that it is such a big issue that and specifically, I'm speaking about the chip and supply chain shortages. It's such a big issue that the government has introduced an infrastructure bill and set aside specific money to address this. If you think it it's hard to develop a game and get a deal done and get everything right in the right spots and get it pressed and shipped, and all that. Imagine how it is with car companies and any appliance company. Pretty much anything that plugs in right now is having a hard time uh, getting supplies to them. And it's not just chip manufacturers. It's the whole supply chain. Everybody is backlogged. People are ordering more of what they need for their businesses six months out because it's going to take six months to get an order to them of textiles, of random stuff. So imagine how hard it is for for chip suppliers to be able to produce all these chips for these companies to get you an Xbox. Or more than that, let's extrapolate that to the beginning of the pandemic when all these different devs had to work from home. You think every single one of these developers has a rig at home that they can build and or that they can build a video game on? You know what I mean? And then on top of that, companies aren't going to be able to take more risks because they're worried about their IP being out there because people are working from home. So everybody's working from home. Everybody bought all the computers. Scalpers bought all the chips, all the graphics cards, all the consoles. I get it. We're in a tough spot. But the level of toxicity that I see in the gaming space is um, is unfortunate. And I think we should learn from cyberpunk and it, it you know i bring it up every so often probably because it's it's gonna stick in my memory for a while as a gaming company burning me as bad as they did but 
cyberpunk is something that we need to always remember, not because of the immense crash, but because that game was mostly developed outside of the pandemic. It was, from what we were told, was mostly done when the pandemic hit. So if we're already going through game delays, if development is already a non-exact science, it's a craft, it takes time, then (laughs) why would we think that this huge, gigantic event that happens all across the world wouldn't impact our ability to get games that aren't buggy and, quite frankly, uh, are are when we want them. I think the release schedule portion of it is the 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 most excusable part and what I get most frustrated with when people attack devs about. You can, a single developer does not does not decide the release date. Okay? There's multiple parties within a company that decide these things, marketing, PR, like you got to think about these things. All all of that matters in game development so if we're not willing to be patient and wait for the right game we we're not allowed to take somebody's head off for giving us a buggy game i the 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 kinds of memes and and fervor i saw around cyberpunk when it got delayed that third time granted that's super annoying but i think cyberpunk is is the same reason why we're okay with another halo delay and we're like all right take your time fine it's still, I, I, I don't know how to address expectations in the gaming space with capital G gamers because it seems like there's always an answer for why it's okay to take off on people. I think about the Dying Light 2 developers doing that mean tweet segment um, a couple months back uh, and people just going extra in on these devs and them just like taking it on the chin and trying to make a funny video about it like nah bro i'm not that's not okay to me you know what i mean like i don't think that you should attack put it this way if my show comes out late next week and i'm 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 a couple hours late or i'm a day i'm a week late i take a week off don't come at me like oh bro you're a bad person i hope you die (laughs) that's crazy that's crazy uh, to me, it. I'm not saying you know. I'm not one of those people who thinks that you can control the internet and you can you can stop people from speaking mean or talking bad or or, or whatever. But I do think that we can expect better out of gamers who have been in the space for a while. If you're you've been playing video games for more than five years, you should understand that none of this sh- it, it, it's it's crapshoot. It's completely unpredictable what we're going to get between when we're going to get the game, how game good the game is when it comes out, how many titles have to be released as just completely horrible before we're willing to wait for it. As far as things like E3, I think that people really don't know how hard it is to organize <laughs> others get them in a room or get them collected together i think e3 could have been uh, did a much better job the esa fumbled on that one 
between scheduling issues and the app and the contenting the content creators being able to talk to people and this and that. But when people expect too much out of their gaming space, out of the, the gaming space, and then they're disappointed, I, 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 I want to ask them like, dude, do you enjoy playing video games? Do you like playing video games? Because if you're just miserable the whole time, maybe you should stop. If every day you wake up and you're just mad that your favorite game isn't out yet, or mad that your favorite game came out too soon because you were mad it isn't out yet, maybe you should get out. Because guess what? No other part of the world works that way. And more than that, and I hate to remind gamers of this, but this is entertainment. This is, the, You guys want to believe that it's computers and technology, and it is that, but it is entertainment. It's just like music. It's just like modeling or being a comedian or being in movies or on television. It is, it's a process. And when you really get it right and it's really good and, and you can call it art, that's beautiful and amazing and, and you should never take that for granted. And trying to recreate that is something that people chase in the gaming space the same way they chase in every other medium. So be along for the ride and don't, don't be the kind of person who burns down the house because your dinner isn't ready. Like that doesn't make any sense. None of us are allowed to have a good time. None of us are allowed to feel safe. The most egregious, of course, was uh, about a month ago when Alana Pierce received very, very heinous threats that I won't repeat uh, here uh, because the God of War Ragnarok got delayed, which she's said to be working on, but she's she doesn't decide when it comes out or if it gets delayed. The things this person said, I wouldn't say to my worst enemy. And it's, it's, I, I again, I get it. It's the trolls. It's the internet, but we got to do better. And we have to set a better example in our communities. And generally, I'm not even talking about some PC, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about just in general, talking to each other with some respect, because I think perhaps there are more kids on these platforms than we understand. And Growing up in these spaces where it's okay to talk to that just is is creating a positive feedback loop where we suck. <laughs> Certain games, we talk about toxicity, and I think it's about that. It's about expectations. People feel like developers take advantage of them, but they don't understand that, that the developers don't decide most of this. They don't decide when you get a game. They're one person that you're yelling at or a small group of people that you're yelling at. Or even if it is a game director that you're yelling at, so what, bro? There's a million games for you to play all the time. You're living in the golden age of gaming and don't forget it. If you can hear my voice right now, you're living in the golden age of gaming and do not forget it. Your access to games has never been better. And I'm sorry that some some gamers can't appreciate that. I'm sorry that some people don't have patience enough to wait for what they want. Because me personally, I'm the kind of person, I'll wait to have a good meal rather than rush and grab something that I didn't want in the first place. But with that, we're going to wrap up the trigger warning topic of the week. Uh, I know it was a, a bit pointed this week. It wasn't about a specific thing so much as it was about 
our attitudes in the gaming space, but expect more content like that. Expect more of just us talking about common themes, ideas, and happenings within the space rather than just talking about, you know, whatever the hot shit is. But before we get up out of here, I do want to remind you, you can holla at me at whackops at gmail.com or you can hit me on Twitter at whackops. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Please subscribe. Please share. Please, please share this this podcast with anybody you think would enjoy it. If they like weekly gaming news, if they like getting into the meat and potatoes of some of these ideas, if they like just chopping it up with a guy like me, hit me up. Let me know what what we're doing. Share this podcast and ask me some questions. I'm going to be posting some polls starting up soon on my Twitter, and I'd love to get some more engagement from you, uh, the listener. And then let's go ahead and end out the show with the shout out of the week as we do every single week. The shout out of the week goes to somebody who we think deserves a whole lot of love or at the very least a whole lot of attention. And this week we have Shikari Richardson. Now, if you're not familiar with Shikari Richardson, this situation broke my heart this week. Let's go ahead and read a little bit coming from ESPN. I'm going to read you a quote. Quote, Band sprinter Shikari Richardson was not on the Olympic roster released Tuesday by the USA track and field. A decision that means that that the Americans positive test for marijuana will cost her a chance at running on the relay team in Tokyo in addition to her spot in the 100 meter individual race. Richardson's positive test nullified her win at the Olympic trials in Eugene, Oregon last month and the spot that went with it in Tokyo in the hundred her 30-day suspension will end before the start of relays on august 5th which left open the possibility she could win a medal as a part of the four by 100 relay team so essentially what happened if you did not hear this story uh shikari richardson um was tested positive for marijuana in her system when she was racing in eugene oregon Uh, And that disqualified her from the Tokyo Olympics. When the story broke, people asked her about it and the incident that led to her smoking weed. And she said something along the lines of, and you can check out the interview. I believe it was uh, with Good Morning America, if I'm not mistaken. She essentially said that she had found out that her birth mother had died in an interview after that race or after a big race leading up to the Eugene, Oregon race. A journalist had asked her how she was dealing with it after her mother had passed and she was in distress and she went and smoked some marijuana to relieve her stress. She said she's fully aware of her decision and she's taking responsibility and she's willing to be held accountable and move forward. Um, But at the end of the day, she does not want to be judged. She's not somebody who wants to sit there and have people judge how she dealt with a very traumatic portion of time in her, her life. And I fully agree with her. At the end of the day, whether you're a marijuana advocate or not, I don't think that this incident in particular or really a positive test for marijuana at all should affect your ability to participate in sports, period, anywhere. I don't understand what I don't. It's not considered a PED from my understanding. I, I don't believe anybody considers it a PED or a performance enhancing drug. And from what I understand, especially in the NFL, it's been talked about used as a pain reliever and nobody even cbd isn't allowed so i'm wondering 
how we're going to get to a place where we stop bickering over these small issues and letting Shikari Richardson run. I will say Shikari Richardson is a black woman. She does not, she doesn't take me as a black woman who hides her personality. She's got tattoos and colored hair and long nails. And I think it's important that when we talk about representation, we remember situations like this where somebody who is distinct and represents a group of people who does not get as much representation as others, who is able to fight through her own struggles and traumas to get to where she is, to be disqualified for something so uh, erroneous while there are people who are holding jobs doing much worse things than that. Jobs that actually do affect the way I live my life and not uh, 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 running a race. But I didn't want to leave on too much of a somber note. Please, let's rally around Shikari Richardson. Please send support. Please reach out to her and send her some love. Uh, I think she's an amazing young lady, and I want to see her running at the Tokyo Olympics this year. If that does not happen, my heart breaks a thousand times about it. But let's hope there is not another situation like Sakari Richardson. Let's try and learn from this experience. With that, I'm going to leave you. Thank you very much for coming in and tuning in. I am Whack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun. Be cool. Stay dangerous. <laughs>